BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. This is a podcast from Minute Media. All right, welcome everybody to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where move over the King's speech, say hello to the King's tweet, nay, the King's apology, better yet, the King's promise, and for one night, the King and the Lakers delivered. But as we've seen from recent reports about Frank Vogel's Lakers coaching career may be hanging in the balance, it may be too late to apologize. I am your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I am joined today by the full Lakers Legacy crew. My co-hosts, Alan Riley and Tommy Alexander, are both here. Desperate times call for desperate Liddy measures. So before we dive into the continued insanity of this godforsaken season, let's start off on the bright side, guys. Um, Alan, hello. What's up? Tommy, what a, what's up? <laughs> Uh, so there you go. You you guys now know that they're both here indeed. I wasn't lying to you. Um, so after losing by 37 points to the Denver Nuggets on Saturday, ew, LeBron tweeted an apology to Lakers Nation promising that the Lakers would be better. And for one night versus the Jazz, even though the Jazz played on the second night of a back-to-back and shot an outlier terrible percentage from three, the Lakers brought the effort, spark, defensive intensity and beat the Jazz 101 to 95. The Lakers are now 22 and 22, 7th in the West behind the 22 and 20 Denver Nuggets. And yeah, outside of that though, the Lakers in the new year continue to be as bipolar as ever. They won 4 in a row to enter the new year, then promptly lost 3 in a row after that. They had another turning point and now they've responded and won a game. So much to get into obviously, but first, Alan, welcome back to the show. Happy Swifty 22 New Year. And uh, your thoughts on Russell Westbrook's poster jam on COVID-19 propagator Rudy Gobert. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, dude, it was sick. I, like, jumped out of my seat and everything, you know. (laughs) He made his mind up 
obviously. Like, the second he put the ball on the floor, it's like, okay, he's probably going to throw this thing off the back iron, and it's basically going to serve as an outlet pass to half court for Utah, and then they're going to score a fast break bucket right here. <laughs> um, but then, as you can see from those still shots, like, he totally was not palming the ball because he just can't, which is fine. But the ball is, like, awkwardly, like, sort of on his hand and kind of nodding. He mm-hmm. just sort of, you know, pushed that thing through. But it was lit, dude. I was... I replayed that shit like over and over and over. It was dope. Did you guys see that fan angle from like the side? That looked disgusting. Cause then you just, it was like all bodies and arms tangled together. And Russ was just like, boom, yeah. uh, cradled that ball. And, you know, I think for as much flack as Russ has gotten missing layups and dunks this season. Good Lord. Was that cathartic? I, I mean, that was cathartic for him. Cathartic for Lakers fans. Because as you mentioned, Alan, typically in our heads, we're like, oh, that's a turnover going the other way. (laughs) That's a miss going the other way. Um, And I'm sure also cathartic for LeBron, who has seemed increasingly frustrated with Russell Westbrook. So I think everybody involved sort of needed that. So, yeah, I mean, credit to Russell Westbrook for having like a, you know, top nominee for top dunk of the the season. Uh, Tommy, welcome to the show as well. Your thoughts not on Russell Westbrook's dunk, but Russell Westbrook mopping the Staples, oh, sorry, not Staples, mopping the Crypto.com arena floor and doing the little things. Is this symbolic for something greater, maybe? No? Uh, It's symbolic of the fact that we're paying him $44 million (laughs) and we need him to pick up the slack of some of the staff at the uh, Crypto.com arena. Oh, yikes. Okay. Um, That's fair. I will, okay, so uh, to to be a little bit serious here. I don't know if you guys uh, listened to Frank Vogel's uh, post-game presser where he talked about how important that little interaction was. And I actually, you know, agreed with Frank. I was like, you know, that's some pretty good, like, insight because he called that interaction, I think, much needed, like almost like a much needed joy-filled distraction for Russell Westbrook, the team, the fans during a season in which, you know, it's been pretty miserable to follow from a lot of ends. So for Westbrook to kind of be interacting with fans in a jovial playful mood i think it helped do you think it helped at all tommy or alan i definitely think so i think the three of us just based on our personalities you know we're all capable of finding those moments of just being silly right just for the hell of it and it is super fun to just let loose and be that way especially at a time where it's arguably inappropriate or like doesn't belong there. You know, it's like, okay, cool. This is my moment to just like F around for a second and get people to laugh. Um, I absolutely think that there's value in that. Like who is someone who's really good at that back in the day was like Shaq, for example. Mm -hmm. And granted, he's just this jovial like character as a whole to see a guy like Russ just loosen up, you know, and get everybody to kind of have that release for a few moments. Um, yeah, without getting too like, oh, let's analyze the shit out of this thing. I think it's great, especially with how the season has been going in the previous game. And I think the poster dunk came after that, right? Yeah, way after. Yeah, so I mean, maybe you could read into that as well. Uh, but anyways, today we are going to do a State of the Union, State of the Lakers Nation address of sorts and kind of get to where we're currently at with this team as we head into the trade deadline. There's a lot of stuff going on with Vogel apparently being on the hottest of hot seats. Kendrick Nunn suffering a setback in his recovery, unfortunately. Um, 
No team apparently being interested in giving the Lakers anyone good for their minimal trade assets. The heck. And um, Anthony Davis potentially being back in the next one or two weeks. So there's a lot of bad in there, but also some glimmer of hope with AD. So why don't we talk first, though, about some positive things, uh, including last night's win against the Jazz. Alan, I want to ask you about what stood out to you about last night's game and why was it Stanley Johnson? (laughs) Yes, it was absolutely Stanley Johnson. I think my favorite play of his was the pull-up 15-foot jumper because Mm. Gobert was letting him have it. You know, everyone was like, yeah, dude, like, go assert yourself, do whatever. And he's kind of looked around. He's like, yeah, I'm going to shoot this J right here. And honestly, like, if he missed it, that would have been fine. Like, that's what you do. You know, you take that shot. And um, the fact that he knocked it down, like, in stride confidently, like, that wasn't the first impact play that he made. But it was the first time that I feel like he um, – it was just like a different type of assertiveness. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then after that, uh, I feel like his confidence was brimming even more. So, um yeah dude without him like just give more minutes to stanley johnson like every single game play him more find a way i mean he almost turned into russell westbrook at a certain point where every play down he was but like a controlled version of russell right where i was like wow his dribbles are pretty decisive and controlled um and outside of the the pull-up mid-range jump shot he had this play in the third where he, he threw like a very slick backdoor bounce pass to a cutting THT on the baseline. THT got the and one reverse layup. And I'm just like, there, I mean, there is a reason, obviously, that he was a potential lotto pick. But now that, and Tommy made a, made a good point last podcast where he's like, well, now we're in a situation where Stanley Johnson no longer needs to live up to being a lotto pick. Right. And he's more focused and honed in on the way that I'm going to get minutes on this team is to leverage my physical abilities and tools and my athleticism on defense. And once he's already doing that and he's earned the trust of the coach, then all of a sudden you're kind of seeing the upside that made him sort of an intriguing prospect to begin with, with the passing, the deceptive handles, like him methodically bumping and absorbing contact down low with Rudy Gobert was, I was like, this is mind blowing to me. I'm like, what is this guy doing? And, and the fact that, you know, Meta would do that sometimes, but you were never sure if the ball was going to slip out of his hands or something. Yeah. But with Stanley, it's just like, everything is so controlled because of his strong frame. And now when he's like, combining his strength with his quickness in transition in the half court he's cutting in off different off ball scenarios it's like such a devastating combo i think just his strength and his quickness and just the fact that he's more controlled than meta i'm not saying he's as good as meta in either offensive offensively or defensively but he's like a more contained version of meta world peace so tommy any additional thoughts on stanley johnson yeah it's nice to see him kind of finding his way on this team and and in the league in general. Stanley went to um, Modern Day High School, right, which mm-hmm. is like a famous high school here in SoCal and is produced. I mean, not like it's not like they produce like the top scorers in NBA history, but they've mm-hmm. produced like NBA players. And he, I think, I, I you know, somebody can correct me if I'm wrong on this. I believe he was like the highest scorer in Modern Day history. Um, mm-hmm. He went from there to Arizona where he was highly regarded and – a top recruit and then was a lotto pick after one year at Arizona. So, you know, I'm not saying this guy, like when he was being scouted or whatever was supposed to be this groundbreaking NBA, like next level Paul George type scorer or whatever, but he was supposed to be, 
you know, he can hit like a mid-range wide open jump shot, you know what I mean? Or like a free throw line jumper that sometimes you kind of see him hesitate to take. But if you look at his career in numbers and in all seasons where he played more than 20 games, um, or I guess for all stints where he played more than 20 games, he shot below 40%. He was career hovering around a 38% uh, shoot, 37, 38% shooting percentage overall. And then sub 30 from three, He's shooting 52% with us. It's just been 10 games, granted, but it's so it's a small uh, sample size. But it kind of shows you, like, yeah, this guy, you know, to the point I made last time, this guy's not necessarily an NBA lotto pick in the traditional sense. But if he can play really solid defense and figure out how to work himself into the system, he doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He doesn't really turn the ball over. Um you know, he doesn't try to do some things that are outside of his means offensively. He hits 82% free throws and he's a career, you know, high seventies and could be probably an 80% shooter with, you know, consistent volume. And he gets rebounds, he gets steals. He, he just does the dirty work. And I really hope we lock this guy up because this is like the prototype NBA build for what we're trying to look for. And, you know, whether or not he can make a three determines whether or not he's a rotation player or an end of bench player. But regardless, this is the type of player you want at the end of your bench, worst case scenario, as opposed to some of the guys that, you know, we've cycled through the last couple of years. Yeah. And then on top of that, I, I hinted at it earlier, but his deceptively good handles and his playmaking vision, obviously you're not going to treat this guy as a point forward, but you just to know that he has that in him, kind of like the same way Meta World Peace had those offensive skills in him is, again, you're unlocking upside there from his like pre-lotto days. That's kind of intriguing. And Tommy, you mentioned this last podcast too, but can you imagine getting this guy in the off season as part of your organization where you invest in him and getting Phil Handy to have that time to even develop those skills and bring them out even more. It's crazy. So Stanley Johnson, 15 points, seven of nine from the field yesterday, 24 minutes, only 24 minutes. He hit a three, five rebounds, three assists on one turnover. That's crazy. Yeah. One steal, two blocks. I mean, he did everything. He made that small ball thing hum. Uh, I can't say enough about uh, the Stanimal. What I don't know what, what nickname we're giving him. Uh, but Alan, that's a quick transition to talking about the small ball lineup and the bench unit that came in for the geriatric crew of uh, geriatric starting lineup of Dwight, Avery, Trevor, LeBron, Westbrook. Um, they they kind of stemmed the tide a little bit and kept things close, but then there was like a visible difference once THT, Reeves, Stanley Johnson, Monk came in. And actually, I think they came in and it was Ariza at the five. And the the moment they came in, they made Ariza look like all of a sudden he was 25. After looking like he was 40 with the starting lineup, they they they, they were so frenetic and zippy that they de-aged Ariza like by 10 years as well. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't you talk to me about what stood out to you about that small ball lineup and what worked, and then also kind of highlight Austin Reeves' role in that as well. Yeah, um, I mean at this point. We know what we're getting when we insert those guys into the game. And it's like, okay, here we go. This is the time for us to either cut into the deficit or to actually build some sort of lead that's going to end up diminishing, you know, the other way around once these guys get pulled. Um, so it's it's um, it's annoying that there is that, like, already 
negative expectation <laughs> knowing that like this isn't gonna last unfortunately um <clears throat> but no you're right it, it's not just like an energy thing right like yeah sure of course these guys are like they're giving effort but th- their skill sets um mm-hmm. it just meshes so well together you know and, and just from the eyeball test you know that that's the case and i'm sure like we've all seen and our listeners have probably seen the chart that shows like how every player kind of plays with each other what their net ratings are and this and that so we know austin reeves literally plays well with everybody we know that yeah. lebron plays well with Austin Reeves, Malik Monk, etc. Like we know all this stuff. So in terms of maximizing the potential of our lineups, like that's the one right there. And um it's it's so comforting, I guess, to be like, all right, here we go when these guys come in, but it's so depressing to know that the second you like have to <laughs> rotate them out just because of like, you know, like you need a breather, it's like, oh F, like there goes that, you know, where we two steps back, five steps two steps forward, five steps back, you know? Um, so that's kind of how that feels. Um, as far as what Austin Reeves brings, I mean, yeah, again, like we know what he brings. It's plays the right way. Like you could say all that type of stuff, but like he's also um, becoming more aggressive too, right? Like he's mm-hmm. able to create for himself, create for others. Um, defensively, you know, he's going to take, like one or two charges per game. They're going to be one or two times where you need to get that guy a football helmet. Cause he's going to get hit in the face or the head. Um, but, and he does it in such a mature, you know, controlled manner. So um, the more minute, I mean, if they could each get like three or four or five more rotational minutes per game, uh, at least I, I think that that would be huge. Um, yeah. Just for our efficiency. And he's getting friskier with his dribbles and showing off his handles a little bit with these crosses in between the legs, dribbles, and then that and what that putback he had last night where he like missed the shot at the free throw line and then tipped it in with his left hand. This dude, seriously, each game now almost, he's doing something. It looks awkward because of how he looks and like his you know body. He looks like he's from 1956. <laughs> no, I mean, some of his finishes are ridiculous, the up and under and one layups and stuff. And you're like, okay, that's amazing. You know, it's like, it's not lucky anymore when you see it once every game. Uh, so Tommy, talk to me about what you saw with Reeves, Stanley Johnson, the small ball unit, because for me, like the ball movement is just so much better with these dudes. The off ball movement with these guys is so intentional. Everybody's cutting every which way you almost feel like are we running plays all of a sudden? Sometimes it is probably that, but also just intuitively these guys know I want to be moving at all times. And it's such a contrast. Again, I don't want to harp on Westbrook, but it's such a contrast to watching Westbrook camp out at the three-point line, an area where he's not even good at and just stand there. Whereas you see if Monk and LeBron are running the two-man game, you see THT Stanley Johnson and, and Reeves all of a sudden going zigzagging through the baseline to make sure that there are other avenues to go to right? And outside of that, when you give it to like a THT or a monk, even though they're ISOing and doing some nifty dribbles, there's intention to it. And they're not dribbling the air out of the ball for 18 seconds, 18 seconds, trying to figure out whether they want to a take a mid range jump shot or pass it off to someone at the last second. There's intentionality to their isolation. Even I feel like, and again, they're passing the ball, they're relocating, um, if, even if they're ice-suing, they're very decisive about their moves and what they want to do. And overall, it's just so much more dynamic than Westbrook and Avery, Avery Bradley because you can do two-man games between LeBron and Monk, LeBron and Reeves, even LeBron and THT, and everything just looks so much more fluid 
and dynamic than the predictability that comes with, again, Westbrook pounding the air out of the ball or setting a screen that no one will pay attention to once he pops out because he can't shoot. And then that's not even getting into the defense where they're switching, they're tagging correctly, they're hustling, they're making multiple rotations. I mean, just Reeves going from Rudy Gobert in the paint to switching out to like the three-point line. It's like kind of infectious and, I don't know, kind of inspiring. So it's funny, Tommy, because I feel like we kind of need to make this team more like the LeBron James year one with the young core team. The main difference is AD will soon be joining that party. And when healthy, that's a fun competitive group. I don't know if it's a championship team. Like I don't, like I didn't know whether the Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Cal Kuzma, LeBron James team was a championship team. But again, the main difference is that team didn't have Anthony Davis. And so you add Frank Vogel as a defensive coach, you add Anthony Davis to that group. And it's like, Again, I don't know if it's a championship team, but for the purposes of winning games in the regular season, we need to we need to go this direction more often than not. So, yep. your thoughts on small ball? Well, well, yeah, small ball, but also to your last point, I think we've talked about this a little bit before. It's kind of interesting that when you're going to put together a roster with LeBron, Russ, and AD as your three guys making whatever forty million plus, and then you have to fill out the rest of your team with minimum contracts. It's weird that it wasn't their instinct to go with something like this. I know the fallback position is always, well, you're going to be playing meaningful minutes in the playoffs, and theoretically, (laughs) I mean, we'll see if that happens this year, but theoretically you're going to be playing big games in the playoffs, and we can't rely on rookies or unproven young guys to soak up those minutes. We're going to go sign 35-year-old Trevor Ariza, 37-year-old Carmelo, you know, Dwight Howard, who's getting up there in age. Um, And so... It's just odd because you would think that if you really believe in those three guys, your big three is being able to carry a bunch of minimum guys to a championship, maybe, okay, take some vets, take a guy like Mello who can hit some big shots in in a playoff game. But you would think that the model would be to build a bunch of guys who will hustle and do the dirty work around these guys. If they can shoot, that's ideal. But they should be able to defend, and they need to do all the hustle little things required to win a game. Or at least have the legs Um, to do so. Exactly, and have the legs to do so. And we've seen it on many other teams in the past. I mean, like, you look at even what the Nets did last year when they made their run to the Eastern Conference Finals. There were guys who were playing significant, and I apologize because I was not following, I can't remember it, maybe Bruce Brown. There were guys who were playing significant rotation minutes for them who came from the G League, like, earlier that year. You know, and so you would think, and and by the way, their big three were all in their primes. Um, So you would think that, you know, we would do something similar here. uh, And it just never really seemed to be the the model for whatever reason. But you see it come out in those small ball lineups when you have Stanley out there who's going to hustle. You have Austin who's going to hustle. THT who gets lost sometimes, but is young and has a motor and certainly has physical tools. His his defense on Donovan Mitchell last night was pretty good, was super solid. Yeah, yeah. So it's like you see that kind of stuff, and it just kind of makes you. It's like Alan was, I think, put it well. It's like you get kind of depressed because you know that eventually the fun is going to end, and they're going to rotate back into their the uh, normal rotation, but. It just makes you really scratch your head as to – I'm not saying start all these guys who, who are making these sorts of impacts, but you know, the fact that we continue to lean on guys like Avery Bradley, um, you know, Trevor Ariza, who you mentioned did well with that, that group, but 
has not looked, in my opinion, very good with the starters. Um, we're continuing to lean on those types of guys instead of mixing and matching some of these mm-hmm. lineups so that LeBron doesn't have to play all five positions for us and be, you know, and on offense, be the point guard and, you know, on defense, be the defensive coordinator and, and, and like take some pressure off of him by putting a bunch of guys out there that'll hustle and, and maybe balance it a little bit more. But, you know, it's, it, they showed that it can work. Um, my question is how consistently, you know, how consistent can they be with this stuff? Because this team has quit on in so many games this year. I mean, even before like the recent ups and downs with the four or five game win streak and then the three game losing streak or whatever, um, they were inconsistent in the first 10 games of the season in terms of what effort they were willing to give. So my way of counteracting that is loading up the roster with a bunch of guys who you know will be consistent. And so maybe the answer is major roster changes. But anyway, I, they've shown that it can work and now they need to just show that they can keep the effort consistent. Yeah, no, I agree with that. So yeah, there are some things to cling on to that are positive. And this team last night showed glimpses of why we were excited about some of their acquisitions. Although we didn't even have Stanley Johnson in the equation there, but yeah, there there's something to hold on to there. With that said, we'll take it to break. And when we return, we'll talk about whether last night's win changed our overall perception of this season moving forward or where we stand as Lakers fans in terms of our temperature check on how we move forward with the rest of the season. All right, so we're back. Um, I don't want to land on this point too much. So, Alan, I'll just ask you, you know, with the recent rumors that Frank Vogel is on the hot seat. We're not really sure why this came out at the time that it did come out. I talked to Tommy before we hit record that maybe they were planning to release this kind of story over the weekend because you kind of need to have some sort of action coming off of such a devastating loss, like a 37-point loss, and maybe the article kind of delayed it. The article was delayed in coming out. And so it came out after like a win, right? Uh, But anyways, to me... I don't think there's really any point to it because I don't know if Rob would actually fire Frank Vogel mid-season with all the changes that have happened. But from your end, even if, let's say, you're not necessarily happy with how Frank Vogel has dealt with rotations and minutes allocation, in your opinion, do you think there's any point to firing him mid-season right now? Uh, I don't think there's any point in firing him because where are you going to pivot? Right. Like, okay. So then you promote Dave Fisdale, assume that that's what happens. So all of a sudden, now that you've had this meeting of the minds and this is how things are going to change so drastically, like, what does that actually look like? Because isn't he on the staff now? And don't, don't you think that, um, if there were going to be significant changes to the rotation and minute allocations and things like that, wouldn't that already be in place as they all collaborate with one another? Because, Frank Vogel doesn't strike me as the stubborn non-team player type of person, you know. Um, If other guys on his bench are saying, hey, this is what we should do. uh, I don't think he's the kind of guy that's going to die on a hill by himself, you know. So uh, I think that's always a question, right? Like, okay, you're going to fire this person, so who are you bringing in instead? And if there is someone that you feel very strongly about and you have – those types of convictions that this person will make a significant difference. Okay, fine. I guess you do it. I don't see that a clear answer there whatsoever. Um, Yeah. So midway through the season, 
and the tumultuousness, the tumultuous yeah. nature. Anthony Davis hasn't been here forever, you know. Uh, I don't think so. Yeah, and Tommy and I talked about this. The only reason why you would do this is if you've already kind of written off the season as a lost cause and you want to start the process of, you know, whatever you're doing next season already. But to do that to LeBron James, I don't think so. Um, Alan, since we're on you and we haven't gotten your thoughts on the Russell Westbrook experiment thus far midway through the season, why don't you just talk about, I'm not even going to give you a leading question anymore. Tommy and I already did a whole episode on this, but... Your honest and raw thoughts on the Russell Westbrook experience, however way you want to take it. So this is like therapy? Yeah, kind of. How do I feel? Okay. Um, ah, man, uh, it's frustrating for sure. It's perplexing. Like it, it's so, so many times it just what you're seeing out there on the basketball floor just doesn't make sense, you know. Um like okay yeah he'll he'll have a couple of games with zero turnovers like now that's sort of this barometer for or a, a metric for how well he's playing it's like it's performance art alan the zero turnovers <laughs> thing has turned into performance art i'm like okay yeah it's like he's still shot 5 for 14 like you know and what what kind of shots is he what's the shot selection like all that kind of stuff uh if he turns the ball over Again, they've talked about the quality of the turnovers, too. You know, if you're being aggressive and you're kind of making the right play, stuff happens, you could totally live with that. It's the unforced turnovers. It's the careless ones. It's the ones where you're breaking concentration for sure. Um, And he just has so many moments, right, where that happens. And are these things that we should be surprised by? No. Did we all know that this has kind of been his style of play, his, his, his deal, you know, whether it was an OKC or whatever? Yeah. But, of course, you see it every single night, and you follow as closely as we are, and you're as emotionally invested as we are, then all of this is just ten times, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Even though it's been the reality this entire time. So I guess once we can come to fully accept that, um, maybe it won't suck so much. Um, Maybe. But I I feel like, and I don't want to put too much stock into, like, his post-game press conferences, right? But... Like the last two, I will say he's been more engaged with the media, for example, and he seems more considerate of them as opposed to being very bristly, you know, which is kind of how he'd been um, all season long. And um, it just makes me wonder, like, is there something inside of him that's like, like, there's too much like toxicity (laughs) in me right now. And I need to just like change things up. I'm gonna mop the floor here and be funny. You know, I'm actually going to answer these questions. I'm gonna get off my phone. I'm going to stop being, you know, so prickly or whatever, uh, because my internal energy is just off and clearly I'm not playing as well as I would like. So let's just change things up. Um, again, do we want to put so much stock into how he talks to the media and things like that? Not a lot, but maybe a little bit. Uh, I think it's worth an idea worth exploring. Um, sadly, to get more into the, like the basketball, you know, part of things, when they put him back in the game last night, granted he had very impactful plays down the stretch, but when they took out Austin Reeves and all the young dudes, and then they brought in Russ, I was like, oh god, like <laughs> why? <Uh-oh. laughs> like, no, like I get that, like what you have to put him in. But do you have to put him in? And did you have to take them out? Like, 
Alan, uh, let's yeah. talk then about how that last play where there's 40 seconds left and he has the ball and instead of running out the clock, granted, he made the shot, but tell me about how that's been a microcosm of maybe how you felt about Russell Westbrook where you're like, I don't know if you were watching the, the Spectrum Sports net, net cast, but Stu Lance was like, stop, stop. <laughs> and then he, Russell Westbrook kept going and granted he made the layup again, but it's just so and they found of like... like- he just can't help himself, and that's the kind of, like, you're always on the edge of your seat with him, especially late game. Yeah. As he says, it's the only way he knows how to play. Why not? <laughs> I believe him. I do. I, I think that is the only way he knows how to play, and anything different than that to him means less than that. And if he's playing less than what he thinks he's capable of, then he's not actually contributing fully, right? Like, to him, that's maximum effort. And, I mean, these are habits, right? These are things that have been built up for his entire basketball life. So to say, like, change, adjust to him, like, he's, they've all said the word sacrifice. He's the one that needs to sacrifice the most. And um, I think that in the moment, it's just, it doesn't click for him, you know? And can, can we blame him, actually? Like, may, maybe not. So then what's the deeper issue is, okay, philosophically, what are we trying to do with this team and the roster construction and whatever? Um, so, yeah, I think you just got to learn to take the good with the not good and uh, <laughs> be entertained by it, you know? Try to reframe it for yourself. Like, wow, this is so insane what he's doing that I am entertained. <laughs> that's that's one way to put it. And I, I think at the very least, you, I mean, at the very least, I will put stock in what you said of like, at least you're seeing the gears turning in his head of maybe I need to change things up. And slowly, the more things I change up little by little, that will transfer itself over to even how I sacrifice on the court. So Tommy, really quickly, because we already did this, any updated thoughts on Russ? The only other thing I'll add is, and I think this is the biggest problem with Russ, not even getting into the contract, not even getting to the asset stuff, but The problem with Russ right now is that objectively, he is just a high-end, volatile, mid-level role player. Can we all agree on that? Like, that's who he is now. The problem with that, though, is that's fine if he's that player. The problem is he has the minutes, the usage, and the mindset of a superstar, including the backing of a coach who still plays him like a superstar. And I think that's a very dangerous thing. And there's a dissonance there that exists, no matter how many games Westbrook takes his foot off the gas pedal and tries to get zero turnovers, he's still always going to get 35 minutes, right? Even if you tell him, Russell, you are a mid-level role player, and he's like, okay, you're still going to give him moments where he's dribbling the ball for 18 seconds, right? So until that changes, until there's some accountability from the coaching staff, from the coach who says, this is your role now, can you accept that? It, like things are never really going to change because Russell's always going to play 35 minutes. So, Tommy, anything else to add? Yeah, the only thing I'll add is on the usage thing, you know, I I think what you mean is and I think what I think of think about when I think about Russ in that context is how many minutes he's using on the floor, whether or not he's actually like usage yeah. percentage mm-hmm. is up because his usage percentage is like you know, I think the lowest it's been since he was a second year player in OKC, but yeah, you're correct. He is playing 35 minutes a game and, you know, to your performance theory, you know, performance theory point or whatever about the turnovers, 
He's down to 4.3, okay? so And it's trending significantly down, I will say, because it was high fours earlier um, this season. But if he has one more game, maybe below four turnovers, it'll probably get down to 4.2. And that would be his lowest turnover since 2014, you know, his fourth, fifth year in the league with OKC. Um, but it all, you know, to your roller point, it's like this stuff all comes with like another cost. There's not like, oh, we got Russ to tone it down with the turnover. So now he's good. No, his efficiency suffers because he relies on those very, very Mm -hmm. high risk plays to get himself highly efficient shots. So when his field goal percentage was up at 45, 46% just a couple of weeks ago, but the turnovers were skyrocketing. We were like, well, you know, and the messaging from LeBron and other players and and the media and fans and everybody was like, okay, well, we have to get uh, shots at the rim. So the turnovers as a team have to come down. So the, the problem is with Russ is when his turnovers come down, his shots become way more inefficient. So it's like, you're kind of screwed either way. And, and to your point about the role player thing, I would be. I don't even. And I've said this many times. I'll say it till the end of the season. I do not care that Russell Westbrook gets paid forty-four million dollars if he was, you know, willing to take what everybody else on this team is willing to take in terms of, you know, when the coach tells you this is what your role is and this is what you need to do. This is how many minutes you're going to play. If he just took that in stride and was fine with it. I would be like, whatever. He's not. He's not like. He's better than a lot of role players, you know. But, on most, but teams, that takes right? the coach doing that in the first place, though, Tommy. It does. It does. And I think you know you have. And but you know, to, when you have a guy with Westbrook's reputation, you naturally it invites some baggage. You know what I mean? And it, it's like going to be hard for a coach to necessarily stand up. I think the Lakers, because they have LeBron and AD, like when healthy two top five players who won a championship two years ago, um, or certainly top 10 players who won a championship two years ago, like you think they would have a little bit more sway to just be like, look, you're under contract opt out. If you don't like it, we can't trade you. (laughs) Nobody in the league wants you, you know, so you're going to play. If we want you to play 35, you're going to play 35. If we want you to play 28, you're going to play 28 or 30. And like, while you're out there, you better figure out how to, you know, not miss rotations, how to be a good... I actually think Russ, as an on-ball defender, is not that bad. When he, when something is right in front of him, he's not that bad at keeping with it. But, you know, these off-ball, you know, falling asleep off the ball and being lazy in the rotations, like that kind of stuff cannot fly if you're going to be playing 35 minutes a game. Yeah. Dude, do you want to get really frustrated and pissed off? Literally just watch him on defense. Like, just stare at him. Don't look at anything else that's going on. Yeah. And you just you just want to grab him lot. like a chess piece on your television and move him across <laughs> the floor. You know what I mean? It's like, dude, you're supposed to be over there. Move. Exactly. Exactly. So that's the unfortunate thing about him because whatever, we can accept – you know, as a society that Russ is a flawed player that, you know, and maybe he gets too much criticism because he's not that bad or whatever, however you want to frame it, but he has to do things to help the team win. And he doesn't do that every night. And if he starts doing that, great. But if he doesn't, then I think he, his minutes need to be cut significantly, at least I'm not saying cut him down to 10 minutes a game, but he, you know, 35 should go down. To, to, I'm saying 35 should go I, down. I'm just, to like I'm just imagining a reality where, where some dude who is making $44 million <laughs> is getting like five minutes to like two minutes to start the first. And then like two minutes to start the third, they bring him in yeah. for a second shift for three minutes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like what was happening to Malik Monk at the beginning of the season, actually. So we've seen yeah. it. It's you so know, cut hilarious. This, but like, 
you know, I'm not saying that not something that significant, right? But it does like for <laughs> for his minutes, you know, that would be a 15, 20% reduction in minutes that he needs something like that. Take him down to 30 or whatever and, and make sure that these other guys who are actually competing on defense are getting the minutes. Yeah, for sure. And, and like to close this, I know I'm laughing and stuff, but I think even just empathizing with Russell Westbrook as a human being, I'm happy for him that he's been able to have like this cathartic release of one, having fan, having fun with the fans who have been booing him or groaning every time he gets the ball, uh, them kind of coming to his side for a little bit, having that dunk. It's like you hope that that type of stuff will kind of snowball into like a positive momentum for him, even just like, you know, mental health wise outside of basketball. We'll see. Um, <clears throat> to close this episode, guys, let's just talk about temperature check of this team. Uh, so, Alan, uh, the Lakers won versus the Jazz. They responded again, Alan. It's another turning point. Um, but if you look, if you like zoom out on the entire scope of this season, the Jazz win marks only the seventh time this season that the Lakers have beaten a team who's 500 or better. 37 point loss to Denver over the weekend. We see the quotes post game about, yeah, we just didn't give the effort. I was like, how many times are we going to have like an effort discussion and how we just need to bring the effort at a certain point, you're just shot in that department and you can't be trusted. Uh, Frank Vogel's continued strange rotations, uh, not trusting Palinka based off of the, what he's done the last few years and kind of being scared to see what will come out of trade deadline. There's a lot of things going on here. So, and I understand this kind of a, a leading question, but like, and maybe it's different for you, but has last night's game changed your perception of the season or were you just not, maybe you've kept perspective this entire time. How, how are, what's your outlook of this team moving forward? Um, I expect there to be a lot more ups and downs. I I think we're going to blow games against teams that we're not supposed to. There's going to be more Sacramento type games, you know, where we lose. Um, so what are we? We're like a 50, 50 ball club, basically. Um, if yeah, there's we're Russell Westbrook, we're Russell Westbrook is a microcosm for the team. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. You're like the sum of your parts, right? Um, yeah, I, I think that we'll have good wins, quality wins, um, and then I think that we'll have head scratchers. Um, I, I think the bigger question is, okay, so like, why is the effort waning at times? Of course, it can be attributed to a lot of different things, but like, who gets the largest share of that blame? And um, I mean, I don't know the answer to that. I think the easy one, and we know this is like, oh, the coaches, right? It's Frank Vogel, like, for whatever reason, they're not buying in and this and that. And why is that the case? Um, of course he doesn't get all of it. He doesn't get all the blame at all, but, um, that's the temperature check for me. I think it's going to be more of this. Um, hopefully when AD comes back though, it, it at least solidifies, you know, some things, um, we'll be better obviously when he is back than we are right now. That's for sure. Um, so maybe not a 50, 50 ball club, maybe a, hopefully a 60, 40 or 57 or mm. 58. Yeah. For sure. I, th I think personally for me, regardless of what changes happen, how many turning points we continue to have, like just intangibly and kind of nebulously, I just feel like there's a suspended dark cloud over this season. And it's not even like the guys on the team seem to like each other and that, you know, their chemistry works and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, sometimes for however caveats we want to put injuries, excuses, whatever, sometimes there's just nothing you can do about bad roster management bad personnel decisions, bad injury luck, and bad on-court fit and play. No matter how many times you try and mentally rejigger your mind to be like, 
no matter how many times LeBron tweets out a, a, a thing to get him going, like a promise to get him going, an apology to get Lakers Nation on his side, like sometimes the on-court fit is just that bad that there's nothing you can do, right? And I'm kind of at that point, even though we're seeing flashes and visions of what this team could be, you're reminded like, oh, but who's our coach? He's been making slow adjustments all season. So if it's not one thing, it's another, right? That's kind of kind of how I feel about this team. If it's not one thing, it's another in terms of like negative things that you could point to that may derail you even if you get something fixed. And I mentioned this earlier in the year, but and I mentioned it in a positive light. I was like, this is a team made up of playoff rondos. <laughs> like the good side of that is, yo, these guys at any moment can pop off and have like a nice vintage performance where they win you a game. Now we're seeing the bad and terrible side of that is, as with playoff Rondo, these guys don't care about game 37 versus the Magic in Orlando until it means something, right? That's why we're, fi- we're a 500 team. Like these guys aren't going to show up until they're literally in the playoffs. But for the over the course of an 82-game season, they're going to be a bare minimum team. They're going to give you the bare minimum of what they can give you. And even when it comes to like reeling fans back in, they'll do the bare minimum to reel you back in. Because what a lot of fans are like, I'm done after that Denver Nuggets 37-point loss. What do the Lakers do? Let's do the bare minimum to get them back on our side. Okay, we beat the Utah Jazz. Everybody's back on, right? And we keep playing this like cat and mouse sort of tug and pull game until we until we reach oblivion, essentially, is kind of kind of how I feel. I know that seems super depressing, but that's just how I felt as a fan, like a rudderless team on all fronts. So, Tommy, you can take it the, the way from here. Well, I just feel like it's almost giving them too much credit to say that, though. I, I think the, the Minnesota Timberwolves could beat any team on any given night. They beat the Warriors by 20 the other day. You know what I mean? I know, mm-hmm. like, Draymond was out or whatever, but... You know, most teams in the league can beat anyone on any given night, and that's why there's 82 games because, you know, beyond it, 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 I don't want people to think, or at least I don't know that you think this, certainly this is not my opinion. I don't think this team is 500 because solely because they don't give effort. They don't give effort a lot. That is true, but they're also just a bad team, and and most mediocre teams are going to be around 500. You know what I mean? So. I, I don't think that it's just like this team could pop off and win a game at any point. That's like any team in the league. The question is how can they, how many can they win over eighty two? The playoff games are not winner take all. You know, it's it's or you know winner go home. It, uh, it it's best of seven series, right? So it's like can they win a best of seven series? Can they be good enough consistently enough over seven games to win a series? I I don't know that they can beat any of the top four teams in the West in a best of seven series right now, like the one exception maybe being Utah. So it, it, this is just not a good team is kind of where I stand. And a lot of things have to change. Yeah. Yeah. And it starts with getting healthier and hopefully we get Anthony Davis back in the next one or two weeks. I think that's the only like positive news we've had over the last few weeks or months or this entire season really. So we hope that he can come back. It sounds like he's slimming down even. So we'll see what happens there. And yeah, um, but until the Lakers string off like a legitimate, consistent win streak with no caveats of like other teams missing players or guys being out or them not even being a competitive team, we're going to continue to, at this point, not give this team the benefit of the doubt because they have shown us who they are up until this point. And even with all the excuses and caveats, like we've seen teams with the same sort of problems that the Lakers are facing 
just show up to work a lot better than the Lakers have. So uh, with that said, we'll leave this episode here. Uh, please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please rate and review us five stars on the Apple Podcast app. We haven't gotten a new rating and review in 2022, and I think we only got one in the last six months. So please help us out in that venture. We're, we want to get to 500 at some point. So yeah, for 2022 and to, you know, give those positive vibes, get those positive vibes going along with, you know, Russell Westbrook trying to mop up crypto.com arena, please rate and review us five stars on the Apple Podcast app. Uh, with that said, we will catch you guys next time. Alan, later. Laters. Tommy. Peace. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.